now I can say like, you know, you just got to knuckle down and work hard and, and it will happen because I've proven it. And, and you're just going to make the most of what you're given rather than worry about what you could have, which is what a lot of people do. Welcome to Unspoken Bravery. I'm your host, Aaron Milzinski, a multiple time Olympian. Skiing started as my first love and quickly became my greatest teacher. This podcast is meant to take a deep dive behind the capes of our everyday superheroes and find out what's under the brave spirits, the fearless feats, and the nerves of steel. It's normal to feel fear. Hardships lurk around every corner. And yet these roadblocks can be met with a challenger's mindset and turned into wonderful gifts. It's time to celebrate imperfections, to build bravery from setbacks, and to take our goals to the next level. So let's dive right in. Hello and welcome. I can't tell you how excited I am for you to hear today's episode with none other than the rocket himself, Dave Riding. And to be honest, recording this intro was incredibly intimidating because Dave has made history, broken records, and defied odds his entire career. He's the GOAT. He's the greatest British skier of all time. But his rise to the top was anything but normal. He started skiing on dry plastic slopes at the Pendle Ski Club. I've never done that in my life. And he skied on plastic slopes and raced there for many years before eventually racing on snow. His first World Cup was at age 22, first points at age 25, and his first win at age 30. Dave has podiumed five times in his career so far, and that includes an immensely historic win at none other than Kitzbühel. He has his name on a gondola, folks. This made him the oldest winner of a World Cup slalom race at age 35 and the first victory for Great Britain in a World Cup ever, just 12 days before the Olympic Games this year. Not only is Dave a top World Cup contender, a four-time Olympian, and the goat of British skiing, he's also the dad to a baby girl, a husband, a cafe owner, and almost always beats me at Wordle. Before we begin, though, I want to make a note that this episode was recorded before the UK sport announcement and the financial difficulties it left the World Cup team in. For more information or to donate, please head to Dave's Instagram bio and click the link there. Now, without further ado, back to it. Welcome to the podcast, Dave. Hi, Dave, and welcome to Unspoken Bravery. Hello. Nice to, nice to join you. Do you remember how we became friends? Because I can't, I can't remember. I don't know if it's because I respected your hard work or we're both, sorry, we'll, we'll probably come to this a few times. We were both kind of older in the circuit or I probably asked you some like question, like, oh my God, what do you think of in the start? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably some kind of metaphorical or whatever question. But no, I think like with anything, we're, on, we're always on the tour together, always on the road. Skiers train in very similar places all the time. So you always bump into people. And when you bump into people more and more, you get to know people more and more. And then, yeah, you have, before you know it, you have a friendship. And as you say, we are of the older generation. Um, I, I'm still a good four years older than you. But yeah, I guess it's just over the years, you just chat a bit more and you build up friendships in the skiing world, which I think is good in skiing. Get a lot of friends and uh, everyone, everyone seems to get along most of the time. Yeah, I've been asked that actually. And I mean, on our women's circuit, everyone's so kind and nice and it's like more friendly than before I was World Cup, before it was really competitive. Yeah, I often wonder if that's a good or a bad thing because some t I, obviously I'm good friends with Daniel Yule and uh, when he's coming down and, and he, uh, he beats me again, I'm like, oh, well, you, you know. <laughs> But if you have too many of that, before you know it, you're you're not ranked in the top fifty, and and you're not disappointed by it. So you gotta you've gotta remember that you're out there to uh, for business. Yeah, that's true. Some people, when they beat me, I'm like, okay, and then some people, I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so you, I, you've talked about this 
all the time, every, everywhere I read it and it's your background because it's super unique and I'm sorry to go back and re redo it all, but it's so unique. It's so different. And I think what's super cool is that you can inspire so many kids because your path is different because so many paths are the same, but yours is so different. So I honestly have six pages of notes for this podcast, but can you walk us through your history? Because I won't do it justice. And it's um, really cool and inspiring. Yeah. I mean, I won't bore your listeners too long, so I'll, I'll keep it brief, but I started skiing to go on a family holiday when I was six and a half. My parents said I had to learn to ski before we could go away, me and my sister. So went to our local dry slope. After a year there, they, they deemed us fit to be able to go on holiday or, or ski worthy because they didn't really want to pay for the instruction abroad. It was quite expensive. So, yeah, we did that and then moved through this, the classes on the dry slopes. A dry ski slope is about 130 meters long, 12 seconds long, so quite short. Um, and then got invited to the race training on dry slopes. So, yeah, being a competitive guy, I was like, yeah, let's do it. And uh, just started racing firstly at my club and then around the country. And in the UK, we've got this whole summer scene of dry slope racing. And through dry, racing on the dry slopes, it was actually a schools competition. Um, I did well enough to be invited to go in the sort of national schools dry slope team who did a camp abroad. And that was when I was 13. And that was my first training camp abroad. So 13 years old, went to Norway and was like, wow, this is a bit different. I'd obviously watched it on TV, but never experienced it. So it was like, Jeepers, this is a whole different world. This, yeah, what is snow? This snow skiing. And I'd skied on snow, but never trained it. And it was and it was awesome. So yeah, then started getting into the clubs and uh et cetera. And yeah, first year fizz, I was absolutely garbage, as we should say. I was actually looked the other day and I just out of interest, I thought, right, how many Brits are my year of birth? And and where was I ranked in Britain in slalom for my year of birth? And there was 20 guys. And out of the 20 guys, after my first year of fizz, I was ranked 18th. <laughs> so, yeah, I wasn't exactly uh, hitting the highs of even the, the, our national level. But, yeah, just kept progressing and, and working and, and believing. And I never really I never really did it anything. I don't know why I kept going. That's a good question that I, I still don't know myself. But just the relentless will to get better. And I enjoyed it. So kept doing it. I think that's a cool reason to continue. And for us, we don't even know what dry slopes are. You know, we have snow yeah. here. We consider ourselves, I guess, sort of a disadvantaged nation, but we have snow and we have slopes and we have mountains. And so to look at your path, you like dry slopes, it's plastic, outside yeah, plastic, plastic. Bristles. Yeah. bristles, which feel really nice when you crash on, I'm sure. Yeah. They're like triangular, a metal triangular thing that, packs bristles you sometimes see them when you get on and off a ski lift okay um so if you fall and you think your thumb quite often goes into the gap and then it, it uh yeah it gets stuck and you call it plastic thumb or dendex thumb we call it you always break it so yeah we yeah, call so it skier's thumb with snow <laughs> yeah, skier's thumb on plastic okay so then you started skiing on snow started training it, it's really interesting because you eventually got quite good and you you won the Europa Cup overall slalom but without winning a race yeah thanks for that yeah you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> no but that's so interesting because I think kids sit there and they're like I have to win everything to win an overall for some reason it was always a dream of mine to to win it because I think I had so many years I used to call the Europa Cup tour or a specific part of it the hell tour <laughs> that's true so, so difficult so hard. I'd barely finish a race back back when I was 21 and so-called men to be on a podium. Uh, I, I renamed it the Hell Tour. But yeah, <laughs> I, I my whole career, it's always been on consistency. Consistency to improve, consistency in results, consistency in training, day-to-day consistency. And that's that's where that's what's brought about my consistent improvement. It's not been it's not been this one year where I go all in and the next year I rest on my laurels it's the consistency to 
be committed to your your sport and and to improvement and and that's how I've kind of done it but yeah I don't know what the percentages are after 21 I guess you'd done it I guess you'd won by 21 yeah and that's what's hard for me because I am the norm I guess what we're looking at I had won by 21 and then had other podiums after that but then I look at people like you and we have quite a few people that are older winners now like this year this year, your slalom tour was insane. It was, how many winners did you have? I think in 2021, you had nine winners and or seven winners and 11 races. And yeah, this the year, first seven races were uh, seven different winners. I know that. Um, I think the sport's changed a bit. I think 15 years ago, say when I was 20, that's a long time ago, <laughs> um, it was maybe more along the lines of people were better younger. But now when you've got, for instance, Ratsoli at 37 on the podium, and also uh, Bratton and Atlee McGrath winning at 21 or 22. That's a 16-year of births different. So if you think there's a chance of 16-year of births being on a podium, never mind the top 30, it just puts into perspective how difficult it is, but also how much longer you've got to show yourself because people are doing it later in life. And I know now I'm way more experienced than I was even seven years ago. So while my body, I still think my body's good. I don't, I don't have any issues, but there's going to be aspects where I'm not as good as when I was 25, but I can make up for it on in experience. And I always think if you're motivated and hungry, you can do it. When you start getting comfortable and, Life gets a bit easier, which it does if you've had success. You you are financially rewarded, not like, say, soccer or these sports, but you, you can make a decent living. Then it becomes easier and people take the foot off the gas. But as they say, a hungry tank is dangerous. Um, and I think that's that's the key, staying motivated and hungry to improve. So what keeps you motivated and hungry? Because you had a later start, but you've still been in it for many many years a lot longer than a lot of people that are on the circuit so what keeps you hungry yeah I've still had to I've still done a lot of years on the road so it's it's tough and and it does get harder don't get me wrong because priorities change I'm having well hopefully a kid in nine days is the due date so yeah my wife obviously has to sacrifice as well I'm away a lot so things do it does get harder but I still think I've got more to give I still think I've, I can get these top results. And I don't know, because it took me longer to get there than, than I feel like I've put in so much, so many miles and so many years that I'd be stupid to stop. And, and I still enjoy it. And, and a big thing for me last year was being joined by some other athletes. Like I was on my own until last year. So I had a whole new like stimulus input and and was living with these young lads who were in a different stage of their career and, and loving it and energy and, and all this. So yeah, keep just, I'm still like enjoying it. So yeah, keep going. I can't do it forever. I know that. So I'll keep trying. Yeah. The young guys seem so fun and the behind the Brits YouTube, I watch some of them and it seems like it's yeah. a good time on the road. And also it's sometimes it's nice too, because if you have a tough day, your team kind of brings you up. And if you have a great day again, your team kind of brings you up. And so it's, I don't know, but I think yeah. a lot of it, I've heard you say that, that, you know, these kids kind of help keep you young and everything, but I mean, you're a powerhouse, like even what you do in the gym, a lot of people are like, Oh, like they said that later in my career. Oh, do you notice that you're getting slower because you're getting older? And that's something that I didn't notice at all. And like you, I was having PBs at older ages when we should have been declining. And I think that that comes from, I think it's something that I've always been really inspired by you for the, the hard work and the motivation and like just sometimes rolling out of bed, not that you want to, but that you, that consistency. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one thing I've done over my, my life is, is try to make everything around my training as easy as possible. So for me to, I was always finding it frustrating driving to the gym, getting stuck, stuck in traffic and driving back from the gym and losing like an hour to an hour and a half of my day. So already when I was young, my dad built me a gym in, in the garden, just a shed with a, with a weight, but with a squat rack in it. And you can do so much as long as you can drop the weight, you can do so much with that. 
So as soon as I got my own house uh, four years ago, I convert the gym, in, uh, the garage into a gym so that I can literally roll out of bed, have my breakfast. And then when my motivation rises enough to roll out the door, I'm in the gym and I'm, and I'm going. I'm not having to get in the car, drive, get frustrated. Same, I train out of my house for running, biking, plyometrics outside my front door on the street, rollerblading on the street. Everyone thinks I've probably got a midlife crisis, but I try and make everything easy for me to not to do because that sounds wrong. You have, you have to do the sessions as, as hard as you can, but to get to those sessions, to put the effort in, there's no extra effort. I've never thought of it that way because I kind of did that through COVID because before COVID, I was driving from Canmore to Calgary to train with the team and my amazing trainer and then COVID hit and that just wasn't a thing. And so I had my own setup and kind of Rocky Balboa vibes. But I think yeah. that's what it is that I could roll out of bed and then wait till I felt like, okay, now my motivation's high, put on some music and push yeah. myself as hard as possible. And you don't need much to do that, but I've never thought of it that way. Cause that's when I kind of saw my results start to improve physically Yeah. after a yeah, while. So like, and now like with the cardio, et cetera, and, and that side of training, I've come to a point where I, I don't want to sit at X watts for two minutes or on a bike or run a specific pace for a whole session on a, on a running. So I try and make all of my endurance or comedy training as much as possible in a, in a competitive environment. So I use this online cycle platform called Zwift. Mm-hmm. Depending how, like, I know that some sessions have to be harder than others. So I'll tailor, you can join races on this platform, right? So I will pick a race that I think will fit the sort of level of exertion that I want to put out. But then I'll be joined with other people on there, and there's always a sprint finish. So being competitive, it, it just makes it so much easier for me. And, and tomorrow, to finish off my week, uh, we have a thing called Park Run in the UK. I'm not sure if you've got it in Canada, but every Saturday, 9 a.m., all over the country, are these free 5K runs. I treat it like it's my world champs because I'm always out to try and see how fast I can do it. But anyone can go. So I know tomorrow I'll go to my local one. There'll be 300 people there. Some Whoa. good, some walking. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll do a, a really hard, it'll be 17 to 18 minute effort to finish my week. And that also keeps me, because I want I don't want to be slow, it keeps me like disciplined through the week to make sure that I'm turning up on a Saturday in, in the best shape I can be. So I'm not slacking off any, anything on my diet or anything like that. And if you do that over the summer, all of a sudden you've done eight weeks, really structured and very disciplined with everything without even having to think about it. So I try and do things like that. Yeah. And it kind of gives you a reason because sometimes it's hard to sit in 21 intervals at a certain pace at a certain heart rate for, you know, all summer on Friday, but then, and think while you're doing it, like I'm doing this to podium, I'm doing this to ski, I'm doing this for, to prevent injury, but it's so far in the future that it's hard to, but if you're like, no, I'm doing this because on Saturday I'm going to go and beat 300 people running. Maybe it's a cool, I mean, we're all competitive. We have to be, to have stayed in it this long. Yeah, exactly. So the easier I can make it for me to do all of this work, especially because I've been doing it for so long, um, the better. Yeah, maybe I have to join a running club or something. Do you think you get burnt out, though, competing every weekend in the summer, Um, too? No, because it's a different competition. It's not my skiing. Yeah, that's Um, true. And if a good 5K runner came, it'd be four minutes to five minutes ahead of me. So I'm not like... I'm not doing it to be the best runner in the world. I'm doing it to try and be a P, to get a PB basically and, and go for my goals. But I'm doing it in a an environment where I find it easier, or I feel it will be easier to achieve my goals, and yeah. uh, and keep a a weekly sort of yeah diary of my fitness level. Tomorrow's the day. I, I feel it. Yeah. So we also had different, so we had different upbringings for sure. Cause I started skiing at two. I had very normal upbringing, skied on snow. But one thing that also was really different is that you in 2010, Tristan became your coach and you've had the same coach until now. So 12 years. 
And for me, I've had four different sets of coaches, not just like one different coach, four different sets of coaches since 2010. So like, what do you really believe in coaching consistency? I guess if it's working or what's the role of that coach then? Yeah. So, I mean, I've gone through a, a federation going bankrupt also in 2010. Yeah. I've, so we didn't really have much of a structure. We had, we were a much smaller team as well. So there was only me as an athlete, but the one thing I saw in Tristan, it was, he'd been an assistant with, um, with Mark Tilston, actually your, your guy's head coach, Canadian mm-hmm. men's head coach. He'd been his assistant. But the one thing I'd seen in Tristan was his work ethic and his single-mindedness to try and help me improve. And and I think that's so valuable in in a coach because he would do anything to make me better, and I knew that. Um, And there's been times over over my career where I probably wanted to punch him multiple times a a month, never mind a season, you know, and we've, we've had times where we haven't got on and we've had times where we really get on. And I always say, like, I wouldn't describe Tristan as my best friend, my, you know, whatever. Maybe that will develop after skiing because there's way too much, way too many pressures in skiing to develop this real friendship. But if I was to go to war or if I was to, like, tomorrow something was happening and I'd be like, oh, hell, we've got to do something, he'd be the first guy I called because I know he'd have my back and uh, I know he'd do anything to make me better. So, yeah, while we didn't always get on, I knew he'd still be wanting me to ski well. I knew we'd like if we had like a month where we we weren't seeing eye to eye in terms of what I should be doing, or which is normal. Um, yeah, like you're never going to get on all the time. Um, people, I mean, people probably live in a fantasy world if they think they should get on all the time. But the one thing I wanted, always wanted in my coach, was a work ethic and to be hard on me because it's natural not to want to to put in absolutely every ounce of effort every single day is hard and it's natural to you know give 90 not 100 but if you've got someone that doesn't let you slack in the long run that'll be that's so powerful if you can if you know that's what he's doing and if you know that's what like that's good for you yeah don't shy away from those people that are hard, if if it's obviously unless it's ridiculous. Yeah. I'm not advocating like just sticking with maniacs, but no, he, he will do anything to make me and now the young boys as well. It, it takes time to develop a bond, but I already see it after one year with the young boys, they're developing the, the same sort of bond with the coach that, that I developed over time. So yeah, these things take time and then just got to go all in. Yeah. I think that's such a neat way to put it too. Like you're not best friends. And I mean, we like, are friends. Don't yeah, get me wrong. Yeah. But like people think, ah, oh, best mate, blah, blah, blah. But if they actually saw what we've gone through, then they maybe see, oh, crikey, these two have been through hell. Yeah. And that's what brings you close. Yeah, I think so too. And, and kind of having that honesty and bashing heads sometimes. And, yeah, but in yeah. the end, knowing that the respect is always there and that, I mean, you also, I'm sure would have his back. And, and it's different because as you're the athlete. He wants what's best for you to help you kind of compete and to be your best, but it kind of goes, I felt like it went about both ways when I had those really kind of special coaches. Um, but does he make you feel kind of your, like putting the athlete first, you know, like Dave is first. And then it's like Dave, the athlete first, or is it, cause maybe that's also a female versus male thing in um, sport. Over time, he's got much better with understanding me and what works for me i'd say at first and i'm sure you'd agree that it was just performance you are not necessarily a robot but performance 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 but now he he knows that everything plays a part whether it's um emotions house things at home um all these things take into consideration and and especially now i'm more experienced i think he has more trust that I well obviously I do it I always train hard I want to train hard and I want to be the best so if something is affecting me then it's probably not because I can't be bothered to train there's other things as well so we've developed over years 
but at the end of the day, we we are performance oriented. You have to be, but you yeah. you've got to understand there are other there are other things in life, not just ski racing. And if other things in life are working well, you definitely have a better chance of doing well in ski racing. Yeah, and kind of staying in longer as well. But you're you've been here for a while, and we've you've had these amazing results. And I mean, you're the goat. You're the greatest British skier of all time. And <laughs> You, for now. <laughs> yeah, but the, that's what's cool that you start kind of history there. But we see all of these amazing things, and for sure you had a different upbringing. But you know, the name of the podcast is Unspoken Bravery. And is there a moment in your career where all people saw was success, but what you're really proud of is what you went through to kind of get that success, whether it be a setback or an injury or kind of a struggle? Because we we've all had them. I don't know if people realize they've had them, but we've all had them that you kind of look back and you're like, how did I even do that in that circumstance? I would say what we had to go through like as athletes. So in 2010, a month before the Olympics, our federation went bankrupt back then. We've got a new one now, which is much better, but back then it went bankrupt. And the four years after that was so hard on the athletes because there was no funding because They had to make harsh decisions who they were going to fund. It really put athletes against each other who were friends. It wasn't necessarily like against, but you you knew that there was only a certain amount of funding and you saw a lot of your friends drop out of the sport because of lack of funding, et cetera. And I had to go through really brutal meetings where, yeah, no athletes should really have gone through back then. I know I've not had it easy, I know I've not had anywhere of any part of my career. No one can say he's had it given to him on a plate. He's had all this support. He's had all this help. No wonder he's good. You know, to put it like, put it in perspective. In I don't know when I pretty much when I won the Europa Cup, our budget for the slalom team was eighty thousand pounds, and oh that included. Goodness. I think that included uh, my coach's wage. Oh my so goodness. we literally did it on a shoestring. I tuned my own skis. He set the courses. I helped him set the courses. He gave me massages if I needed them. So we've literally been through the hardest of the hard and, and made made success of it. So that's what makes me proud is, yeah, I am. Oh, yeah, I'd never like saying that the best British skier of all time, whatever. But I did it my way. I did it a hard way. And no one can ever say like, yeah, he only did it because he was gifted it because it wasn't the case. And, and it also now... I can say like, you know, you just got to knuckle down and work hard and, and it will happen because I've proven it. And, and you just got to make the most of what you're given rather than worry about what you could have, which is what a lot of people do. They think, oh, if we had this and that and that, we'd be better. Probably not. If I've had, before one of the Olympics, I, I had a, a physio, et cetera, and myself, and I was no better for it. I was decent, but I was... It wasn't like this wonder stroke. You just, I just need a base team and an opportunity, and then it's down to me. And that's what I've, that's what makes me proud. I've just made the most of what I've been given and, and somehow won a World Cup. Yeah, and I think it's what makes people, like when we're watching races, it's we love the British feed, so for sure we're amped up because those guys are so excited watching you. But everyone cheers for you. You know, like if we're in a place, everyone's like, Oh, Dave's coming down. And everyone sits down and watches your run because of how you ski. You're amazing and strong and so like blisteringly fast out of the start. But I think also, you know, you have this crazy story and it's inspiring, but also you're just kind, like you're a kind human that takes time to make sure other people are okay or make sure you say hi. And I think that also sets you apart. And I think it's something that you should be really proud of as well. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> Obviously, uh, yeah, there's more to life than just winning. Yeah. Winning is a big thing in my life because it's what my what I'm trying to achieve. But there's way more to life. And, and a nice life out of skiing is in the long run more important because I won't be able to ski forever, but hopefully I'll have a, a wife really long in, into my life if I don't shank it um these things are important and I always remember when I was like 
nobody on the World Cup, etc. I'd always try and I'd always say hello to Marcel Hersher. Mm-hmm. And Marcel would always, always take the time to say good morning or hello back. Now, not everyone, I won't name names, would 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 do that, but mm-hmm. Marcel would always even if it was on inspection, you'd be like, oh, morning, morning. He would always acknowledge you. I, and I, I, he got a lot of respect just on a personal level from me for doing that. And I try and try and learn as well. And what if I find something nice, then I try and, yeah, put that into my character and, and make sure other people, yeah, feel the same about me as what I've felt to them. So, yes, don't get me wrong. Sometimes I, I can be in a complete... Uh, don't know, idiot and whatever. I have my occasions, but so does everyone. But yeah, so does everyone. Yeah, in general, just try and be decent human and uh, but train hard and and I don't know why. I think I'm like a token. I'm something different on the World Cup. There's more coming now, but it was always Austria, Italy, the big nations, America, Canada, and then a Brit. So I, everyone sort of had me as their second favorite skier. Yeah. So then, yeah. So like the Austrians support the Austrians, and then are also interested in my story, and the same for a lot of the nations. So I think that's where that comes from. Oh, that's really cool, though, because probably from Canada too, because we're like English speaker. So then we're yeah, behind yeah. you the all queen, the way. The Commonwealth, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Team Commonwealth. Yeah. Okay, Kitzbühel this year. I mean, Kitzbühel in the past has been crazy for you, but Kitzbühel this year, you won. And you have your name on the gondola. And I remember watching your second run and it was absolutely insane. Like if anyone hasn't watched that run, you should go watch that run. But I mean, what got me is that when you cross the finish line, cause you were sitting in fifth after, after first run and you cross the finish line. Sorry, I'm getting excited. So I speak fast <laughs> and you like fist pumped and you were so happy, which at that point you were only guaranteed fifth and then you moved your way up to fit first but did you know like did you feel we talk about flow state a lot for the second run and the first run but did you feel that flow state because to me it seems like you're a big feel skier I've heard it in some of your interviews like can you explain that that feeling of that day yeah it's funny because honestly these results happen when I least expect them so I think I'm trying to figure out why I think maybe I get a result means a lot to me. So maybe I get a little bit too caught up in the the result or how I'm going to perform rather than letting my skis just perform. I think it's because I've come later and I've I had so many years of banging my head against the brick wall that I I'm, I just wanted it so much and sometimes I, I carry that with me. But that day I was actually ill. Thankfully, I didn't have COVID, but I was I was not feeling good. I remember going to the I hadn't I didn't ski the two days before because I just thought I just need my energy. I was going to the race and I my voice just was going that day. I didn't day. know any of this. Yeah. So okay. and so I was just like, you know what? Just get what you can out of the day. I'd I'd straddled in Madonna. I was fourth after the first run and straddled. Um. So that was annoying. Out of boat in the next race, I was only half a second off the lead and straddled again. So I was really frustrated from that. Veng and I just got a salt. I just wanted to finish. I got 20th. And so I was like, right, just forget all that. And uh, you're ill. Just do whatever you can. Um, and my, my coach gave me a report for the second run. And I remember turning to Ryan. Uh, he's actually Billy's service man, but he's always at the start with me because I just love his vibe. Um, and, he, and my coach gave me the report and I turned to Ryan and I said, it would help if I could just breathe in the finish. And then, <laughs> and then just walked off. I didn't realize he was wetting himself at the time. And, it funny, but, and then just went through my motions and, and yeah, Kitzbühel seems to suit me now. It hasn't always. It took me until 2017 to even finish the race. Um, and I just I used my tactics that I always use and crossing the line, the, I think the reason why there was so much as emotion was because of how down I'd felt with my three races before. So I was, I knew I was, well, I, was, I think I was sixth actually. Uh, Rosh, I was in there as well, came in late, but um, oh, I knew yeah. I was guaranteed a top six. So I was like, that's great. Like, and a green light. If you see a green light, <laughs> you know, 
yeah. green light if you're in 29th after the first one's great <laughs> so it's like yeah I just I celebrate saying had a green light I knew I was going to be top six I wasn't even thinking that's enough for a podium never mind a win I just thought awesome and then I thought you know what I'll kiss the snow because yeah I was like I'll just show my respect to Kip Spuel it's a bit of a beast I'll kiss the snow and maybe that maybe that's that helped if there's any sort of energies out there I I did the right thing and yeah bonded with the snow and somehow walked away with the wind which was quite surreal it was so cool and then I think what's cool is that I don't know how it was but in the duel in Oslo the city event mm. when he podiumed I was there and I remember your team's reaction I'm not sure exactly yeah. where I was but but then again in Kitzbühel you know all over the TV is your team's reaction your coaches in tears everyone's voice is hoarse your teammates running up in slippers but I find it really shows how much the team backs you and that they're there on the good days but the bad days as well but I don't know can you like, why was it so meaningful to them, I guess? Yeah, I mean, my guys have been with me, like my coach has been with me for a long time. Um, my serviceman, Jai, who's the guy crying at the top, also, he, I know my guys have my back. And I know if I, in the times of need, they'll be there for me. And I know that they put their life on hold for, for my skiing because we're always away. My coach has two daughters and we're always away. So it's like... They're so, they're so in it, and and the team as a whole. Like, that's why I like. There has to be a good vibe in our in like our team. It's all British, um, and and I want to keep it that way because we all get each other. We're all passionate. We all want the Brits to do well, and and yeah, they know that how long I've been trying to win, or or trying to get these good results, and they've been part of it. And I hope they feel part of it, and I hope they feel part of that history. And um, I must admit, I, when I saw Jai on the snow, I was like, oh, that, that's quite nice, like whatever. And then I looked up after 15 seconds, I was like, oh, he's still down. <laughs> and after 30 seconds, I was like, right, stand up. And then after 45 seconds, I nearly went up and pulled him off the ground myself. <laughs> but, but no, like we're, they're all invested in, in, well, in the end, mine and the, the younger boys' performances and and you can see that with their level of dedication, they give it. So, um, yeah, it was a real team. That's what made it, like, I wasn't necessarily really emotional after the race or anything or, or whatever, but I was more proud that I'd done it for all the people that had believed in me and all the people that had supported me, more so than just for me, because obviously it's a massive life goal that I, that I had. Well, more so recently than when I was young. I didn't have a goal of that then. But, yeah, I know that they've put everything into it. So just to say, like, we've done it was was the biggest thing for me, for, for, for others, sponsors, coaches, whoever. That's so cool. And that's what I kind of say with my win. It's like, okay, I stood up on the top of the podium, but, like, we did this. Like, as a team, we did this. Because even the young ones yeah. for pushing you and your coaches for always being there and your techs because your skis, like, you need that full team. Yeah. But do you think it adds, Mitch and I talked about this last week or something. Do you think it adds pressure when you're kind of skiing? I don't know the right way to say it for other people. Maybe in the start, you don't feel that way, but both of us have felt pressure kind of to try to make sure, especially she's kind of on a, a team alone right now to kind of try to perform. And then all eyes are left on you. And you feel that pressure from your country and your team and how much they care. I don't necessarily feel the pressure, no, because I know that all they expect from me is effort. Um, and I know that I do that. So I, I know that, that they can't ask any more, really. That's cool. Yeah, I don't feel, yeah, it doesn't do, doesn't do, it might have done a bit more in the past, but now that I've sort of had the career I've had, I hope that they would have been, felt satisfied and fulfilled even if I hadn't have won. So yeah, not, not really on the, in that sense anymore. That's really cool. And something I kind of struggled with, which I think you've done, well, we'll see, but a better job of kind of separating, like it feels like no singular result, no singular year defines you as a skier, but also your whole ski career doesn't define you as a person, but how do you separate your 
self-worth from those results. You know, the results are just disappointing instead of, because we see so many of our athletes right now struggling mentally. You know, you see the Simone Biles, you see the Lewis Hamiltons. And so how do you kind of separate those results from who you are and your worth as a human? Um, I'm not not sure I always do. I've had times where I've been really mentally down and looking back, would I say, was I depressed? I don't know because I don't know exactly what. So probably not. But don't get me wrong, there's times where I am in the tank. And there's only one season I can remember or I think where I, I didn't shed a tear in the season. And that was in 2017 where I was coming through the ranks like an absolute missile and I got my first podium and I nothing was a bad result and I couldn't put a foot wrong. And I finished the season eighth in the standings with my first ever podium from being ranked 22nd. It was just like this one big positive roller coaster. But since then, being at the top to stay there has really been tough. Yeah. And to get there in the first place was really tough. And even this season, um, I'm not I'm not ashamed to say after Adelboden and, and I was in a position to to podium, etc. after the first run and I straddled again and I didn't always believe it was my fault and I felt like things were going against me. I, I was like, I shed a tear and I was like, why the hell do I do this? Like, why do I do it? Uh, why do I put myself through this? And the amount of times I've said to my wife, I'm done, this is my last year, you know, I, there's no way I'm doing this crap again. And But then, you know, you push out the gate again and give yourself another chance. And that's what, I think that's, it's hard to do. And I don't always think of it as, like straightforward as I say it, but I've proven that you just have to push out the gate again. And if you're willing to keep pushing out the gate, putting in the effort, putting in the the time and everything, then you will get get a good outcome somewhere eventually. It took me 97 races to win a World Cup. I think it was 97. People then were expecting me to win Slamming three days later. They probably didn't know that I was ill and they probably didn't know that I was absolutely knackered. And the last thing I wanted to do was race again. But um, I wouldn't say, yeah, I wouldn't say I always separate it. I know life is, I know there's two, life isn't fair. And yeah, there's there's more to life than than your sport, etc. Like I know I have a supportive wife and hopefully a little daughter soon. But so yeah, you've got to live in the reality as well as your, a profession I guess and it's hard to separate them both and I, I don't know what Simone Biles Lewis Hamilton have been through no. and, and it's easy to think like I don't know how many goals Simone's got and, and Lewis has got seven world titles or eight I can't remember but they're still going to go through hell and I'm sure right now this season he's going through hell because yeah. his younger teammates outperforming him the world is a fickle place they think he just just won his titles because of the car now and even though he's proven himself time and time again. And that, I, funny, it's just popped into my head, but someone, I did a podcast with a fellow Canadian, fellow Canuck last year, and I talked about trying to prove my doubters wrong, and he said, surely you've proven them wrong. And you know, that tomorrow I'll have a new doubter. And, yeah. and it was funny. I'm not going to say the name, but they'll know who it was, and I, I'll leave it at that. And he said to me, surely you've proven your doubters wrong and then I heard him do another podcast and I said I believe I could win a World Cup this still and then I heard him do another world uh, podcast and he said I think Britain can win but I don't th- I don't think or know it it will be Dave and I was like there's your doubter so I yeah. was like there's doubters every day um, whether you're the best in the world Henrik Christofsson whoever you will have doubters people against you and you just got to consistently slap them down. And, and again, this year I'll have many a doubter and people who will be wanting me to fail. Like I know that's a case and for sure they'll get to me on some days, but yeah, just got to keep going. And, and that's what life's about. I think you just got to keep going and keep proving your doubters wrong and, and make sure you're happy with yourself and your own performance and not, not worry about what women Karen saying down the street about your performance because they're on the sofa with their slippers on eating bonbons, not in very good shape, probably. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a really easy place to be. 
yeah. it's really tough to be on the on the TV on the start gate. Yeah, there's that that saying that you know the man in the arena saying that you can't really say that if, unless you're in the arena as well. But I almost find like, I still can't, I was in the arena as well. And I don't want to comment on anyone else there because I don't know their past and what they're going through and their unspoken stories. But as you said that, it kind of brought it up too. Cause even when I was 15 or 16, I had a parent come to me and they said that I had been costing them a lot of money because I guess they had been betting on the races, the yeah, kids yeah. races, and <laughs> I, I was winning them. Well. Yeah. And they're like, I've been betting against you maybe tomorrow I'll win money. And I was 16 or something. Yeah. Or after I won, people were saying, you know, we think that maybe she could be the next, you know, big thing in Canada. And then they were saying, but, you know, I was disappointing because I didn't become that thing. You know, that person, that next big Lindsay Vaughn for Canada or something. And I don't know if people don't think we're going to hear it or... I don't know. I don't know what goes through their mind because sometimes it's so hurtful. And I mean, I've heard your story too, that, you know, one run after first run, you were 27th and the media is going crazy. Like, oh, he's lost it. Is he ever going to oh. be good again? And then the next run you were, I don't know, second or something like that. And, and that race, yeah. it, it's crazy how they can switch. Like, it's like, they yeah. might be your haters one day too, or they're your doubters. And then they jump on the bandwagon the next day because you've oh, had yeah, success. That's, that's- I mean, that's what that's what social media gives everyone a platform, and that's why you hear these things more. Is because the the sort of naysayers and and those people have a platform, and they they have the freedom to to say that. And but that's you just got, I I I have people saying the same like, oh, I put I put a bet on you to win, and you still not won, and blah blah blah. And uh, I you just got to laugh at that, you know. I put. I put a bet on someone's stock price to go up and it went down, you know, it's the same sort of thing. And, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, that's what life is. So I think it's the same everywhere. It's the same, same in business. Definitely probably even more cutthroat. Yeah, no. Yeah, exactly. That's, as we said before we started, c'est la vie. It's, it's what life is, you know, we're, people are doubters, people jump on the bandwagon, people, you know, I'm pretty lucky because I haven't been through that much. You know, it takes me longer to see it for, you're definitely more, actually, I don't know if you know, but I Googled your name and on some of the celebrity websites, it's like Dave riding top social media in the world. Google it. It's pretty funny. Yeah. It says you're really great. I'm horrendous. <laughs> but do you think there's a role for social media in the world? Cause it bothers me sometimes that it's kind of this highlight reel. This is what's going on. Everything's great. This is my great, you know, everything. Yeah. Do you think that there's a role, there's a place for it? Obviously for sponsorships, it's great, but it's pretty hard for kids these days growing up. Yeah. I see the more negatives than positives. I think obviously as an athlete, it's good for me to, well, well one, interact with my followers and my fans and feel like they're part of the journey. That's good. It's good for exposure for my sponsors, so it's not just the television, it's social media. But what frustrates me is sponsors are maybe even more in, in like bothered about social media than performance sometimes, which I find fickle. And there's so much hatred out there. It just gives a platform. But every single social media platform wants you to be on their platform. So if they know you're interested in a certain thing, they will feed you more of that. So if you have a certain view on something and whether you're, I don't know, whatever, if you're left wing, right wing, you know, whatever your view is, you get fed more of that information, which makes you more almost radicalized in, even if you're a, a vegan, it makes you more like, ah, I need to do something. And so many people are just getting whipped up into this frenzy uh, and forgetting to read the other side. I think it's more negative than positive. And if I didn't have sport and everything on social media, I'd be quite happy not to be on social media. Yeah. And I have kids that are like, do you ever fall or what happens when you fall? My goodness. I fall all the time. I also was like a a serial straddler. um, So I really feel your pain with those straddles, but then I started realizing, okay, I need to post more videos of me falling or failing or something. And as soon as I post that, then people think that I'm depressed or having a hard yeah, time. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, yes, it hurts to straddle, but I'm just trying to show the other side. So I find it hard because people want the highlights, but then it's, you know, these little kids are, 
you know, your yeah. daughter is going to be it, like, it, it's, it's very fake. And that's yeah. what the more I've looked into, like the people on who I've like, if you see someone, you're like, wow, that looks awesome. Or that guy's in awesome shape. Or wow, that guy's. And then you see them, you're like, dude, you're so not happy with the way you are, but you're portraying this image on social media. And that's all you see. People forget that when I post a win and I don't post the struggle in the week or something, it's like, oh, Dave must be loving it. His life's perfect. I tell you now, it's not. I tell you now, there's many things I'd wish I could change, but, you know, yeah, it, it, it's a tricky, it's a tricky path, the old social media, but it's so ingrained now. And I spend way too much time wasting my life trying to just monging on social media. And you're like, oh, there goes another 20 minutes. If I added up all those 20 minutes, I could probably have a degree in something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something more than like scrolling. Yeah. Really strong <laughs> right thumb. So you kind of answered this, but I'm wondering if, because I had it happen to me this year where I had, I felt horrible in the start. And as you said, in Kitsville, like I felt horrible. I didn't even feel well. I don't know if it's from all of the COVID stress and testing and masks and having to make sure we stayed negative to go to the Olympics. Like it was a lot coming in. And I, I remember it was in Kranska and Kranska is a tough hill. And I remember standing in the start and I'm like, you know, I, I, we had a COVID outbreak on our team and I was like, I don't even know. I th- I feel sick enough that I, I should probably go test between runs or something. And I had my best result of the year. Definitely didn't have COVID tested a bunch of times after that, but I was ninth after that race. And probably I was just super anxious, super, I don't know, maybe had a cold. Those were going around too, but is there you know, everyone looks for a perfect mindset and they say, what do you think of in the start? And what's your activation level and what's your flow state? But a lot of my results as well, when I won, I actually didn't even want to race that day. I was on the bubble of making finals. I remember I couldn't even look in the mirror. I was so nervous because my family had booked tickets and we don't have a crazy amount of money. So that was a lot for them to book tickets to finals. I haven't made it. And the race was delayed because it was warm. And I remember standing in the start and I'm like, if we don't race, I have a better chance of staying in finals. And then I went and won. And so I don't know if there's this perfect, you know, I've also had races where I had a great mindset, but I don't know if there's this perfect mindset. Do you have experience with that where you're, I, I mean, I guess you do because kids feel was kind of one of those days that you just push out of the start and it kind of just happens after you feel like, really bad (laughs) yeah the only time I know it's not going to be good is when I'm mentally or physically just drained if I'm not mentally or physically fully drained then anything can happen but I guess that's why people like Hersher win or podium so much they're they're able to well one they're really good at skiing but two they're able to probably deal with things a little bit better than what say me or you have been able to deal with and it's a skill yeah, it's a skill that I think about a lot and and try and learn with experience. I've spoken to say sports psychs and that, but more harm than good sometimes um, because I, I think then I start overthinking rather than thinking about what works best for me. I'm sure not everyone's the same on that, but yeah, getting in that zone is. If I knew how to get in the zone to the to to how I want to be every single race then I get much better results. And I think that's what people, th- kids think they're up, that us professionals, that we're always in the zone. It's quite often how we deal with it when we're not in the zone is what brings about like being a, a good sports person. How can you do it when the chips are down? Or how can you do it when, when it's not in your favor that really defines you as, a, as an athlete? And then the, the best ones, I don't know how they do it. I'm not figured it out. <laughs> yeah. Because I know I can I can be as quite close to Henrik, if not faster, in a lot of the training sessions. But when the chips are down, something, whether he's better at setting up his equipment on race day or whatever it is, he gets the better of me more than I get the better of him, for instance. Yeah, and that always drove me mad too, because I was a really fast trainer like in training, I was fast. And then I just didn't put it together, but whether that's because everyone else stepped up and I didn't, or, you know, did that pressure get in the way or was I not as good at handling that? I'm not, I'm not sure. Cause I, I tried to look at every side of that. 
but it is something, as you said, I think it's instead of getting into that perfect state time after time, it's kind of how can you ski regardless of the state you're in sometimes. Yeah. You definitely have to learn that. Yeah. It's a learn trait. Okay. This has been really interesting. I have a couple, I don't know, more fun, more cheesy questions, I guess, but how did you get your nickname? The rocket. The rocket. Yeah. That was from the dry slope. Some of my mates, I don't know why we're doing it. We're making up nicknames for each other. And we're also coming up. This sounds sad. What will you do it when you're younger? Yeah. Like little raps. I don't oh my gosh. I did it too. <laughs> and uh, yeah, rocket riding went and I was quite fast on the dry slope. So they, they went with that for me. I can't remember what the other guys were. Maybe Razor Ruddock or something. I don't know. It was funny. Do you remember the rap that you made? Can you start spitballing here? Okay. (laughs) I do remember. I have no chance of my doing it. Okay. Okay. Once we stop recording. Or some Wordle with friends. That's what Lenny's like. You need to name this podcast episode Wordle with friends because we send Wordles and I overthought it today. Have you done it? Have you? Was it blown today? Was it? I think. Yeah. But then I'm like, flown, blown, clown. Yeah. I don't know. I overthink it. Um, okay. And then we're, the name of the podcast is unspoken bravery, but what does, what does bravery mean to you in like one sentence or what's your motto? Bravery to me, I guess it's just having the relentless, I don't know if it's hard work, dedication, will just to overcome your day-to-day problems to put yourself out there every single day whether it's good, bad, raining, snowing, whatever the day is, just get out your front door and just get out there, no matter what people think. Um, yeah, be brave. <laughs> I don't know, something like that. I don't really have a motto, though. Yeah, I love that, though, because it's that's what I was thinking when I started this. I'm like, bravery is this huge concept, and it's really just this, you know, braving the everyday things. And it could be forgiving someone. It could be, you know, you have so much going on. You have wife you just had your wedding baby on the way you have your cafe and then dealing with all this on the road and traveling and being away I mean it's pretty brave to balance it all but again it's just like the everyday things that you know you kind of tick it off one at a time and stand tall through it all yeah exactly I'm I'm a big believer in my motto if it was anything was is do the basics okay well, like what you do, do the basics yeah and that, you go a long way in life if you do the basics I mean, you have to believe in that for how many hours and days you've spent indoor training. Indoor training for me is torture. One, I'm super slow on the uh, the flats. And two, it's like so cold in there. Yeah, but I grew up on dry plastic slopes, which are shorter than these indoor slopes, on plastic bristles. So the indoors is, it's literally what I grew up like, repetition, just repeat it. You know what really used to annoy me was going up Hintertuck's. I vowed never to go back in 2015 or something like that. And I've never been back. One day I go up, right, it's perfect. The next day it looks sunny. There's a cloud on Hintertuck. So it's not frozen. It's soft. The next day it's raining. The next day it's windy. Next day it snowed. So the ice is gone. Indoors, I get up. My mind's set on training because I know it's minus two. It's icy. It's semi-flat sometimes it's a steep if you're in Wittenberg not really a steep but you know what I mean and I can just work on what I'm going to be working on some technical aspect of my skiing and right I'm here for well one year we did way too much and I felt like I was going to see walls for the rest of my skiing career (laughs) but yeah other than that I can just work on things and yeah in a controlled environment which we can't get outdoors so yeah I guess that's 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 a part too I feel like we have so many similarities and then some things I'm like, you know, I love that weather. When you come up and you're like, Oh my gosh, this is a cool day to work on, you know, not being able to see too far ahead and okay. It's soft. I'm not great in soft snow. I'm like great opportunity to work on soft snow or, you know, okay, today's yeah. a good day to be brave. But then I go inside and I'm like minus two again, like same weather, same lens for the whole last week. That's when you can work on the top of your turn. Shoot. Roll the top of the turn. Okay, I'm making a comeback. You've heard it here. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> 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 um, 
Um, no, thank you for talking to me. It's been so interesting and it's been so nice kind of being mentored and talking to you on the road and kind of learning from you, but I am so excited to watch you this season and I am hundred percent. I will never be your doubter. That's not, I'm full supporting and I'm really excited yeah. to watch you race. Hopefully I can make it to one of the races somewhere. Yeah. The doubters will be right eventually because I can't ski forever, but yeah. No, I'll but they won't because you've defined yourself by so much more than everything that's on no, these six pages of notes, all of these podiums, all this kindness, all of these like crazy unique struggles. It's, it's, what's really cool is that you've let, you've left this legacy. And that's what I said. I want to leave a legacy. And I don't know if I did a great job of that, but you have, you've left a legacy that, I mean, makes people want to cheer for you, makes people want to keep skiing, makes people want to keep believing. So it's, it's no matter what doubters say, it's like, it's really cool what you've done. Appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on today and good luck tomorrow in your 5k. I hope you're super fast and, um, with the baby on the way, I'm sure this will come out once she's arrived, but, um, yeah, she's that. enjoy the balance and, and these new challenges life has to offer. I shall try you too. Thanks. I hope Bye. That bus is built soon. Oh my gosh. Me too. <laughs> Thank you for listening to unspoken bravery. My goal with this podcast is to connect with you through real life experiences. So I would love to hear from you. A hello, feedback, future ideas, you name it. You can reach me on my Instagram account at Aaron Milzinski or head to my website, AaronMilzinski.com. If you like the podcast, please share, review and subscribe. I hope to see you back here to uncover your own hidden superhero.